Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just we, we thank you for your presence this morning. Uh, we thank you that you meet with your your people and that you've done everything necessary so that we could be in your presence, uh, that you could be with us, and uh, through what your Son Jesus has accomplished for us. It's because you are a God of love, and I just pray that uh, we would be just transformed by that truth in our lives. Uh, Lord, so many of us have heard different things about who you are, but we sing a song like that and we're just reminded that you stepped into a broken world, Jesus knowing what awaited you, and yet you were still willing to do that for us. I just pray we'd be changed by that truth. And that we'd be reminded that it's because you love us and you want to be with us. So let us find joy in that this morning. Let us find peace in that this morning. And ultimately, let us hear from your word and be reminded about who you are and how we can respond to the God that you are. So we love you and we're just going to call upon you this morning and ask for safety as well for all who are on the roads this morning. Thank you for getting us here safely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, Adam Brock. <laughs> Good morning. Way to go. You made it. Oh, man. Hey, uh, I just want to say, if you are a guest with us this morning, we're so glad you're here and uh, glad you made it to, to, to church uh, as well. If you're watching online, glad you're tuned in. Can I just say, whoever's praying for snow, would you please stop, okay? <laughs> I just want to put a stop to that. Um, but I am glad that you guys made it in. We're kicking off a new series this morning uh, called What in the Word, and it's kind of based on the expression, what in the world? Maybe you found yourself saying that from time to time, like something you just don't understand. What in the world? You know, things that make me say what in the world is when I go to the grocery store, and no matter what line I pick, and keep in mind, I'm pretty diligent. Like, I look for the person who looks like a hard worker. That cashier who looks like they're scanning those items, but it does not matter. Whatever line I pick will inevitably be the slowest line. And it makes me say, what in the world? You know, I I have two four-way stops that I have to go through to get here to church. And I take back roads and these two four-way stops... It, 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 it never fails. There will be no cars around. There's, there's, you know, not another car on the road except one coming from a different direction. And we always inevitably come up to the four-way stop exactly at the same time. And it's that awkward moment. It's like you, me, you. And it makes me say, what in the world? Am I, it's like I'm in the matrix. How does this happen? And then there's this one. How about the, the zipper merge? Like, so simple, right? And yet nobody seems to be able to do it. So traffic gets backed up, and it just it makes me say, what in the world? You know, there's a lot of things in life that make us scratch our heads and make us say, what in the world? But there's also things in this book we call the Bible that makes us say, what in the word? <laughs> things that cause us to scratch our heads because we don't fully understand. Things that maybe raise more questions than they do answers. And so it doesn't matter whether you've grown up in church, you know, your entire life. It doesn't matter whether you're newer to the faith or maybe even just exploring the Christian faith. These are questions that we all have. And over the next several weeks, we're going to focus on some of these topics. 
right? We're going to deal with the topic of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're going to deal with the role of Jesus' second coming. The Bible says Jesus is going to come again someday. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to deal with what happens the moment after we die. Something the Bible tells us about. We're going to talk about this in this series. These are all questions that we ask. But this morning, I'm going to deal with this topic, the topic of worship. And you know, when I use that word worship, that could pertain to a lot of different things. Giving a tithe, something we talked about over the last several weeks. That's a form of worship. Serving in the church, that's a form of worship. But this morning specifically, I want to talk about singing, something we don't talk about a lot. But why do we come into this place called the church, and why do we sing? I remember uh, my first time coming into the church as a teenager. I hadn't been in church in years since I was a kid. And I remember coming to the church with my baggy jeans on and wearing my hoodie. And, and I remember how interesting and maybe odd it was that we gathered together in this place called the church and we would sing because just stop and think about it for a second there's not a lot of places where you do that right not a lot of places you could think about where you get together with other people and sing you know i i would sing maybe at a birthday party we would sing happy birthday to someone uh, but i gotta be awkward for a person like me that was quite awkward i would often stare at my shoes because singing isn't a gift of mine and so i wasn't used to this but Sometimes, especially those of us who grew up in the church, maybe we, we need to take a second and just stop and think about how awkward that can be when someone comes into our church and sees that we sing. It is kind of an interesting thing that some of us don't even think about anymore. But I remember stepping into this church, and um, I wouldn't end up sticking at that church. I'd end up going to this other church that really connected with me. But I still found it odd that people would sing, that we would stand up and have this, what we called this worship time. And we, there was this song that was popular at the time. Maybe some of you remember it. It was called, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. Anybody remember that song? <laughs> yeah, that was like a really popular song. And it was a simple song. You had a chorus and then you had one verse. And the chorus was simply, I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. And I remember we would sing that song, and about the eighth time singing that chorus, I would be like, we're going to do it? We're going to sing of his love forever. And I would look around, and there was this lady in front of me, and she had her hand raised, and she was like this. And I was like, worship pastor, someone's got a question. She wants to know, is there another verse to this song, or are we just going to keep repeating this verse? And then I looked over at this gentleman who was next to me, and I could see his eyes were closed, but I could see tears were forming underneath his eyelids. And I remember thinking, his back is killing him. I get it. <laughs> as we're singing of the Lord's love forever. But as I kept coming, because I knew there was something to this worship, I hadn't engaged, or I wasn't participating in it at the time, but I remember just thinking, what is it? that these people have that I don't have. Because they have something, and I wanted it. And this is why God tells us we are to sing to him, because when we worship, it is a powerful way that our hearts connect 
with God. In fact, we're told this a lot, you know, throughout the scriptures, but a couple verses for you, Psalm 100, verses 1 through 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Some translations say, shout for joy to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with what? Singing. Psalm 50, uh, verses 1 through 5 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Notice that. In his sanctuary. Now, we call this our worship center, but it's saying we are to gather together as God's people, and we are to do this thing we would call corporate worship. We are to sing together. It's something God's word tells us to do. There's a community aspect to all of this. It says, praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with strings and pipe. Are you hearing this? Instruments. God wants us to praise him with instruments, not just singing, instruments and creativity. Praise him with sounding cymbals. I love this. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Our drummer just said amen. Okay? Loud clashing cymbals. God loves instrumentation. He wants us to worship him with instrumentation and creativity. And he wants it to be loud. God loves this kind of worship. This is something we're taught to do in the scriptures. Um, but over the years, I've often had people ask me who are new to this whole worship thing, like, who are we exactly singing to? Now, if you grew up in the church, duh, we're singing to God. But you need to keep in mind, that is not just apparent to everyone who comes into this church for the first time. Like, who are you singing to? Because let's be real, God is invisible. We don't, we don't see him with our physical eyes. And so it's a little odd, because even when I'm singing birth, you know, the birthday song, I know who I'm singing to. So, of course, we know we're singing to God. We're, 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 we're singing to the God that we can't see with our physical eyes, but that we're trying to connect with, with our hearts. We're trying to connect with in our spirit. But then this raises the next question, well, why does God need our worship? I've actually had someone say, is God egotistical? Does he need us to build him up? Is he vain like that? And No. No, God doesn't need our worship. God is God. He is the creator of all things. He rules over all things. Next week, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit, that God exists as three eternal persons, one God, but three eternal persons who love each other and have perfect community with one another. God does not need our worship, but worship is to God, but it is for us. Worship is for us. It's to God, but it's for us. In fact, we could say it this way, worship is a weapon. You have a handout, you might want to fill that out. Worship is a weapon for your life. It's a weapon. It's a, it's a reminder to us that God is with us and that God is present in this place. Some of you right now might be dealing with just a health issue of some kind. Worship is a reminder to you that your God is with you and that he is your healer. Some of you might be struggling financially and not know how you're going to pay some of your bills. Worship can be a time of reminding you that God is with you and that he will provide for you. 
Some of you might be dealing with anxiety or some kind of fear. And worship is a way of reminding that God is with you and that he will fight your battles for you because he is for you and he is not against you. Weapon, worship is a weapon in your life. And what I know about life is the darkness is constantly trying to creep into all of our lives. The discouragement and the challenges and the troubles of this world that wants to ultimately lead us to despair is constantly trying to creep into your life and into, the, and into your home, into your family. Worship is a way of reminding ourselves of who our God is and the promises that God has given us in his word. Worship is a weapon. One of the greatest examples in the Bible where we see this, where we see that worship is a weapon, comes from the book of Acts, in, in Acts chapter 16. And in this part of the book of Acts, we read about how Paul and a man named Silas find themselves in prison. What are they in prison for? Is it because they hurt somebody or because they stole something? No. They're in prison because they freed a young slave girl from her master. And this master had a lucrative business going on with this slave girl. And then when she was set free, he lost his business. And he lost a lot of money and he became upset. So he orchestrated to have Paul and Silas thrown in prison. And we read this in verse 25 of Acts 16, that about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying, and listen to this, and singing praises to God. They're in jail, and they're, they're praying, and they're singing praises to God. Now, did you catch that? It was about midnight. They weren't sleeping. Now, this is the time most people are asleep, but this was a difficult time for Paul and Silas. This was a challenging time. This was a discouraging time. They're not sleeping. And I just want to ask you the question, you know, what's that midnight been in your life? That discouragement, that challenge, as we all face them. But what I want you to see is that Paul and Silas, in the midst of their discouragement, in the midst of their trouble, they worship God. They turn to God. Who do you turn to? The reality is we all worship something. We all turn to something in our, in, in our lives. You know, sometimes we just think it's Christians that worship. That's not true. Everybody worships. Uh, I heard a story recently about the uh, Kentucky men's basketball team. Uh, apparently, they play a game every year against Louisville that's called the Dream Game. And every year, it is nearly impossible to get tickets for the Dream Game. But a man got tickets, and he was in the stands, and sitting next to him was this woman who on the other side was an empty seat. No one was sitting there. And so he couldn't help but ask, uh, do you know who that seat belongs to? Because tickets are impossible to, to, to get to this game. And the woman went on to say, well, for the last 28 years, my husband and I, we have uh, been season ticket holders, and we've come to this game. But he just recently passed away. And so the man felt terrible for bringing up such a sensitive subject, but he couldn't help but ask a follow-up question. He said, well, was there no one else you could bring, like a family member or a friend? And she said, no, they couldn't make it. They're all at my husband's funeral. <laughs> Took you a second. We all worship something. 
We all worship something. For some of us, it's college sports or some other sporting event. For some of us, it's another person in our life. For some of us, it's our job or that dream job. I don't know what that might be, but we all turn to something to worship. But when Paul and Silas were in trouble, they turned to Jesus. We read in verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Everyone's chains fell off. They just, they're praying and they're worshiping God and there's this earthquake and everyone's chains fell off. I want to ask you the question, what is that chain in your life? You know, for some of you, you might have to think about that for a little bit. But for others of us, you know exactly what that is, what that bondage has been in your life. Some of it is alcoholism. Or it's turning to pain meds. Or it's pornography. You know, we all have these chains in our life. But worship is powerful. It can break those chains. Now, I know some of you would say, are you telling me it's that easy? I just come in and I sing a few songs and those chains are broken in my life. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's deeper than just singing the songs. It has to do with what's going on in our heart. It has to do with surrendering ourselves to this God that we are worshiping. That's why some of us, when we worship, we do raise a hand. You, do you realize that raising the hand, it's a universal sign for surrender? That's what it is. It's a universal sign. I surrender. When I was on this mission trip in India, some friends of, uh, uh, of mine, we, we went to check out this temple, and we wanted to get in, just scope it out before we were about to leave and head home back here to the U.S. Um, so we started sneaking around the building because we knew it was really our last chance, but we couldn't see any windows or through anything. To, so we, we walked back out to the front, and as we were walking back out to the front, we noticed that two men wearing uniforms were approaching us. And one of them had a, his hand on a sidearm. He was a police officer or a security guard of some kind. He didn't speak English. We didn't speak his language. You know what we all did? We surrender. <laughs> we didn't dab. You know, he didn't do the peace sign. No, we, we put our hands up. That's what we're doing when we're worshiping. We're saying, God, I surrender to you. I need you. <laughs> I am yours. I need your help. Another reason people put their hand up, though, it, it's, just a, it's a way of testifying to the truth of what we're singing. This is what you do in a court of law, right? You have to raise your hand and give sworn testimony. And sometimes when we're praising God, we're just saying, God, this is true. This is true. Thank you for these truths. But friends, when our heart is in it like that, there's power. There's power to break chains. Now listen to me. That's not saying you have to raise your hand. I know for some of us, that would seem like the most uncomfortable thing to do in the world. Am I saying you got to raise your hand? No. No. Isn't it possible that you could possibly, you know, potentially come into the church, raise your hand, sing these songs at the top of your lung, but your heart's not really in it? Of course that's possible. In fact, Jesus talks about this. He says this in Matthew 15, 8. He says these people, he's talking about the Pharisees here, those, the, the religious people. He says they honor me with their lips, sing the songs, but their hearts are far from me. They don't know who they're singing to. 
They don't realize this God of love that they're singing to. And so, friends, it, it doesn't necessarily matter how we express our worship. The key is that our heart is in it. That we're worshiping for the right reasons. We go on to read in verse 27, it says, The jailer, this is the guy, the security guard, he woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, I know this is the Bible, and we just assume that people always do the nice thing in the Bible, but I want you to put yourself in Paul and Silas's shoes. We're told a couple verses earlier that this is the jailer who took them into the inner cell, not just into the jail. He took them into the inner part of the dungeon where he shackled them to the wall. We could understand if when this jailer was about to kill himself, Paul and Silas just remained quiet, but that's not what they did. Paul said, stop, don't do it. We're all here. You realize worship will do this to you? Worship will give you a love for other people. I, I've seen this happen with couples, and this has happened in my life so many times. I know how it is sometimes just trying to get to church, especially on a day like this, right? Or maybe it's your girlfriend, your boyfriend, or maybe you're married, and you're just fighting to get out the door, and then it's, oh, you're, you're just like your mother, and right, and you're driving into church. And then you get in here, and it's, oh, I could sing of your love forever, God. But then by that second, that third song, your heart, it starts to soften, doesn't it? And maybe you even find yourself reaching over and grabbing that other person's hand. And by the time you walk out, you know, you've, you've kind of forgotten about the offenses that even took place this morning. That's the power <laughs> of worship. As we worship this God of love, it has a way of filling our hearts with his love for others. And then in verse 29, the jailer, after receiving this, really this gift from Paul and Silas, he says, uh, the jailer calls, called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I love that. So simple. Amen? <laughs> believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I love that. It, it's just so simple. And this, this jailer does. Uh, he goes on to get baptized. Uh, we're told he puts his, his faith in Christ. Maybe some of you are here uh, this morning and you need to make that decision. Or maybe you've recently made that decision. But it is a simple decision. It's just that Jesus, <laughs> I believe that you died on the cross so that my sin could be paid for. I believe that you are God. I believe that you are the perfect one. And I believe that you absorbed that punishment that I deserved. I believe that, Jesus. And I put my trust in you for eternal life, for salvation, that I could come into a right relationship with the living God and become a child of God. But then it doesn't stop there. Now what do we do? 
We worship. We worship. And we thank this God for what he's done. And I know, because I hear this from time to time from some of us, but how, pastor, do I experience and encounter this God in my worship? I want to. But how do I have that thing that I see that other people have? That's where I was at many, many years ago. I'm going to just give you two suggestions this morning. The first thing I would suggest to you is you got to prepare your heart. You got to prepare your heart. You got to prepare yourself as you come into this place. Um, I'll say this to you, especially those of you who have kids. For many of you, just getting here is a victory. Okay, it's a monumental task. If you can get matching socks for your kids, get shoes on them, shove a coat on them, right, and get them into church, you deserve to sit in those seats, pat yourself on the back, and say, I am awesome. Okay? But I'm going to challenge you not just to get your body here. I want to challenge you to start preparing your heart so that when you come into this place, you are ready to worship. Part of the problem is throughout our week, right? We're here for an hour. Throughout our week, we are bombarded by pop culture. We're bombarded by it. In fact, a, a study was done asking students some questions uh, on this topic of pop culture versus, you know, being studied on other things. And we found out that less than 40% of students could name the three branches of government. But over 75% could name the three stooges. <laughs> Less than 30% knew who the current vice president was, but over 100%, well, 100%, not over, but 100% knew LeBron James. I thought this was an interesting, over 30% didn't know the day 9-11 took place. Over 30%. Okay, my point in all of this isn't that we need to go study up on, you know, history here, my point is how pop culture affects us. We're bombarded with it all week. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, YouTube. I mean, this is the world that we live in. This is what we're in. That's all week. And then we're expected to come in here for one hour and to connect our hearts with God. Friends, I want to challenge you to start preparing your heart before you come into this place. Maybe that means, you know, you get a good night's sleep before you come in here on Sunday, right? Maybe that means throughout the week, you're actually opening up your Bible and spending time in God's word and prayer so that you're not just meeting God here on Sundays, you've been meeting with God throughout your week. Maybe on your car ride into church with just, you know, your spouse or your family, or even if you've just memorized some scriptures on your own, you could just quote some scriptures, getting your heart ready to come in this place because you're being reminded of what God has done for you. Friends, I want to challenge you that what if this year, what if this year you didn't just get your body to church, you started preparing your heart so that you could maximize what takes place every week. Let me just tell you, if you don't know, a lot of work goes into pulling off these worship sets. And we do this so that we can have a time of corporate, corporate worship in God's sanctuary. All right, here's the second challenge I would throw your way. Worship throughout the week. Worship throughout the week. Don't just make worship something that you do here on Sunday mornings. Psalm 34, 1 says, I will praise the Lord, underline this, 
at all times. I will praise God at all times. Do you know what happens when you start worshiping God? Worship becomes a problem for your problems. Worship becomes a problem for your problems. Something that we do in our household whenever someone's discouraged or, you know, sometimes just in the family, there can be like this negative spirit in the home. Sometimes I have that just in my own life. But something we'll do is we will stop and we will say, okay, what are three things right now that you can give God praise for? The way we do this with our kids, or I do this, or Danielle does this, it never fails. We'll sit there, okay, I thank God that he does love me, because he didn't have to, but he does. And he's done everything to bring me into a relationship with him. I, I thank God that he's put you, my family, in my life. I, I thank God that he's given me a roof over my head. I mean, we just start thanking God, and it's amazing. You do that, and you see how the attitude changes in, in, in your home. Why? Because worship becomes a problem for our problems. The psalmist goes on in verses 17, 18 to say this, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This morning I just want to ask, any of you coming in here with a little discouragement? Any of you coming in here just maybe feeling like your spirit is being crushed by something? Maybe it is a financial tension or a relational strain. Maybe it is a health problem. Or maybe you just don't know how you're going to get through this week. Friends, can I encourage you to worship God? to use worship as a weapon in your life, to push back that darkness and to remind yourself what God has told you in his word, to give him thanks for what he's already done for you and to stand on his promises. We're going to get an opportunity to do that as we close. This morning we're going to take communion together. And uh, the bread's going to be passed and the cup's going to be passed and you can eat and you can drink whenever you're ready. I'm not going to get back up here, but I want you to use this time to maybe think of a few things that you could give God praise for this morning. And music's going to be playing over you. And when we've all had a chance to eat and drink, we're going to stand and we're going to, we're going to sing to this God. And we're going to use worship as a weapon. Worship is to God, but it is for us. Don't let this time pass you by. Use it. Because it is a weapon for your life. I'm going to ask our host team to go ahead and get ready, and I'm just going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us this thing called worship. Because I know some of us in here, we're fighting. We're fighting for our lives right now. But worship is a weapon you give so that we can fight the battle and we can overcome. God, elevate us to new places through our worship this year. Help us to see victory in our lives, even as we're in the midst of our challenges, even as we're in the midst of our struggles. 
let us know, God, that you have overcome the world and that victory is yours and that all of your promises are yes in Jesus Christ. And so we can believe in those promises today. God, give us faith to believe your word and to use our worship as a weapon against the darkness. I pray this for us individually and I pray this for us as a church. Thank you that this is all possible because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He gets all the glory. And we say thank you, Jesus, this morning and pray this in your name.